Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Bright Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Bright. A really big welcome to anybody that is new. If you have never been uh, to Bright Church before, I'm so glad that you make the time on a Sunday night to be here. My name is Ben. I'm the senior pastor here along with my wife, Sarah. And, uh, you know, it's kind of a really significant day for us here at Bright Church because we are starting a series today. And that series really sets up our theme for the whole year. And uh, I don't know how you got to be here today, uh, but I know that... You know, it wasn't just one big decision that brought you into this room. It was probably a series of decisions. You knew a few people and maybe they invited you along and, you know, you hadn't been to church for a while. Maybe for you, this is where you come every week. And so you're just in church every Sunday, but you didn't arrive here by accident. It was a series of different decisions. And uh, some of those decisions, they just start to stack up over time. Somehow uh, you made a bunch of decisions and you ended up here tonight. And that's kind of how things are. It's never one big decision that changes everything, you know, uh, or, or, or our life completely in that way. Uh, oftentimes it's a series of decisions that kind of sets up the path for our life. And, uh, you know, if you ever meet somebody that is, have you ever met somebody that's really fit, just totally fit? And uh, let's put it this way. Have you ever seen somebody with like abs in their 30s? You know, if they're level 30 and above and they have abs, you know, I'll tell you right now, that doesn't happen by accident. No one gets abs by accident, right? You got I'll tell you something else. It wasn't the one donut that they missed. It wasn't that one choice. It was all the donuts that they chose not to eat in order to have those abs. It wasn't just the one run that people did at the, at the gym or the one run that they took, you know, on that Friday morning. It's all the runs combined. It's all the reps combined. It's all the weights. It's all the gym work. It's all the diet. It's missing the donuts. And it's a series of those things that kind of add up to people that, and on the outside, at least they look really fit, you know. And those things, they start to stack up and they, and they add up over time. And here's what life is. And your life is really, right now, tonight, is a series of the seemingly small and sometimes insignificant decisions that you've made. And if you make a number of small decisions over time, those things, you know, I've learned that they do stack. Your small decisions start to stack and you keep stacking those decisions and those choices uh, and and keep stacking them time after time. And eventually that stack's going to lean in a direction. And, you know, your life, as you start to stack up all your choices, it declares something about you. You know that? That your life as it presently stands, it declares something about you. And I don't know, maybe you don't like what your life currently says. The good thing is, is that you got the opportunity to start making better choices and you can start making new decisions. But your life, it declares something about you. And I, I really believe that God, what God has asked us to do is He's asked us to change the world in so many significant ways. We want to bring the presence and the, and the kingdom of God into the world in which we live. And so the choices that we make in life, they are important. So I thought what we should do is we should do a series called Lead the Change. And that, and that series is designed to help us understand all of our choices and where they go and what we should be doing. Your life is going to declare something. We should be intentional about what it declares. Amen. So, you know, I, I just really believe that throughout this series that God is going to speak to you. I, I 100% believe that people will change the direction that they're walking 
over the next four weeks. And, um, and it's going to make a really big impact on so many people. And, you know, maybe, you know, when I say the series, Lead the Change, maybe some of you here tonight, you're like, well, that's great for all those people that, that have like leadership functions and, and leadership roles and, you know, that belongs to them. And maybe this isn't for me. How, hold, hold on a minute. Hold on to your horses because leadership is simply influence. Here's what you got to understand. God has granted to you a measure of influence. He's given it to you. You have influence on the world that's around you. And so if leadership is influenced, then what you do begins to impact and affect the lives of other people. Now, you don't have to have a title and you don't have to have a position. In fact, for you, maybe you're thinking, I don't have any influence on the world around me because I don't have many friends. In fact, it's really just me and my BFF and it's just the two of us and we just hang out together and you know, I have no impact on the world. Oh yeah, you do. Because the choices that you make, they're impacting another person. And so what we need to do is we need to make sure that all the choices that we're making are leading to the right impact in the world in which we live. Amen? Yeah. So here's what I want to do. I want to preach a message to you guys tonight. It's called Look In. I remember when I was going for my driver's license to get my full license. And now I'll tell you the truth. I was kind of, I was nervous about going for it. And I was nervous about the fact that I, I could fail this test. And I had done all of my hours and done all my driving and prepared for it and planned for it. And uh, it wasn't that I thought I was a bad driver. I thought I had the skills to get through the driving test. But, you know, it felt like a lot of pressure because my birthday is in October for anybody that wants to know. <laughs> my birthday is in October. And so because it's later in the year, a lot of my friends had gone for their driver's license and they got it. And I didn't want to be the one guy in the group of friends that we had to say, all right, well, I failed it. And I, I felt the pressure, you know, and, and, and the, the, the more people that got their driver's license, the more that just added to the pressure. Didn't make it seem any easier. I just thought, oh my gosh, I can't mess this up. I don't want to, you know, fail. And I felt the pressure. And how many of you guys would know that when you're starting to feel pressure, you could just make dumb mistakes? You know, like when there's pressure, you know, it's a pressure situation. And if you're watching the footy and you're seeing somebody kick and there's a lot of pressure on that moment, you know, they're going to kick it wrong. You know, or maybe you like, like basketball and someone's got a free throw and it's going to, this thing is going to tie the game and, and send it into overtime. Man, it's a lot of pressure. And they hit that shot a thousand times, but now there's a lot of pressure. When there is pressure, you can make some pretty dumb mistakes. So I'm, I'm feeling the pressure and the, the driving uh, instructor had gone in because we had gone into, you know, Vic Roads in Burwood and I was waiting for the person that was assessing me to come out. And I could feel my heart beating and I was a little bit nervous. So they come out and we get into the car and we begin doing the, the driving test. And you know what I'm doing? Like, I'm like checking that rear vision mirror. I don't even know what was in front of me. I just knew what was behind me because I kept on looking at that thing. Because, you know, you don't check it enough. They're like, you failed, you didn't look. And I'm like, oh, I'm looking in it. That's why I'm, I'm living in the mirror, rear vision mirror. So, so anyway, I'm, I'm trying to do everything right. I guess he kind of picked up that I was a little bit nervous. Because he, he said to me, hey, uh, you feeling a little bit nervous? And I said, oh, yeah, just a little bit. He says, would you like to just stop the car and, and, and go for a little walk? And I'm like, yeah. And, and I'm thinking, right, if I do this well, I reckon I can walk for nearly the entire length of the time that my driver's test goes for. And, and if I play this well, when I get back in the car, we're going to have to drive straight back to Vic Roads, right? So, so anyway, I got out of the car. Now, how long does it take you to walk around a car? 20 minutes. So, so I, I'm like, 
I walked around. Truth is, this is not even a lie. I walked around it a couple times. This thing's like the, you know, city of Jericho. I'm like, well, let's just keep circling this thing, you know. And, and, and I, I kept walking around it. And then I got in the car and he says, oh man, we're kind of stuck for time. Like, you might as well just drive back. And I was like, well, okay, yeah, that's a great idea. So anyway, I drove back. And the good news is I got my driver's license. And so I was really, yes, thank you. Thank you. I feel so encouraged. And I'm going to have to talk to the Moyne congregation. They were not as excited, but maybe you guys got your licenses a little bit more recently. I don't know. So you know the pressure. You know what it feels like, you know. And so I can tell you something about driving on the road. It is a privilege to be able to drive on the road. It's a privilege. It's not a right. It's a privilege. But how many of you would know that where there is privilege, you'll often find pressure? Where there's privilege, you'll often find pressure. I remember the first time that I ever had to MC a service at church. If you're new to this environment, you're like, well, what do you mean? Well, emceeing is what Matt did earlier uh, tonight. That's what he, he did the whole service. And when people do it really well, you don't even realize that they have done it. I'll tell you something right now. That job is actually harder than it looks. You've got a lot of things that you've got to think about. So here I am. I'm standing to the left of stage. And uh, I've got to lead the church in this prayer moment. I've been told what I need to do. And, and I'm looking at everybody and it feels like they're all looking at me. They're not. They're actually looking at God because it's worships. You know, everyone's worshiping God, but they're all facing my direction. And so I, I can feel it. And I, and I, and I walked out and, and, and I felt the pressure of that moment to make sure that I didn't mess it up because I just wanted to do a good job. And there was pressure. But how many of you understand that it's such a privilege to be able to go out and do what I did? It was such a privilege. In fact, I, I think that even now today, when I come and, and, and I get to preach the Word of God to, to anyone that chooses to come and listen, I think it's an incredible privilege because no one has to be here. No one has to listen to this, you know? So I, I always think, wow, it's such a privilege to be able to do it. But oftentimes there's still pressure that comes with that privilege. In fact, privilege and pressure often go hand in hand. Think about it like this. If, if somebody is the, has the privilege of being a CEO in a company, then they have the privilege of being able to lead that company in a certain direction. If the, if the company is publicly listed though, then they have the pressure of, of all the shareholders and what they think. They've got to report into the board. So yes, there's privilege, but there's also great pressure. Man, why am I talking about privilege and pressure so much? Well, if you don't manage pressure... It'll cost you your privilege. Do you know that? If you don't manage the pressure that you have in life, it can often cost you the privilege of the things that you're doing. What I'm really talking about is your character. And your character forms the foundation on which God will build anything and everything. And in fact, if you wanted to build something significant, you need a great foundation. If you, if you wanted to build an impressive building, you wanted to build a high building, something that, that reaches up high, right? You've got to build a deeper foundation. You need to make sure that structurally everything is set right in the foundation before you start to build up. I think what God is often doing in people it's he's looking at the foundation. He's looking at their character and he's determining whether he can build a significant ministry in their life based on how they respond to the pressure seasons and circumstances that they face in their life. It's important to manage pressure. You know, I've seen this happen many times where people have incredible talent, 
but their talent leads them to a place where their character is not able to follow. And this isn't difficult to understand because, you know, you just have to look at the news and you see another leader that has risen and was doing successful and was doing well, but they felt the pressure. And under the pressure, they made bad decisions and those bad decisions became public. And then they lost the privilege of leading whatever they were leading because they didn't manage the pressure that they had in their life. It's important to manage pressure. I want to read a scripture to you. This comes out of Hebrews chapter 4. In verse 12, it says, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from His sight, but all are naked, which means that God, He can see everything. Like there's nothing hidden from Him. It says, But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him, to whom eventually must give an account to. You know, all the little decisions that you make, eventually you've got to give an account for the decisions that you make. You know, whatever choices you're making right now, there comes a time where you've got to say, well, this is kind of how I thought things were going to go. You're going to give an account to God eventually for the decisions that you make. So it's kind of important that we start to make the right decisions. And God, God is able to see everything, you know. So there are things that people do and they, and they think that maybe no one knows about it. But I tell you this, God knows about it. God knows about all the stuff that's going on in your world right now. But let's face it, can I be honest with you for a second? A lot of us can see the decisions that people are making in the surface of their life. I can see when someone's done something. I can tell when someone's made a mistake. But the Scriptures say that God is able to do something way beyond this, something that, that we often can't do. In fact, what God is able to do is He can discern the thoughts and intentions of your heart. See, it's not just about what you do, but God is really interested in the motivation of your heart and why you're making some decisions. It's not even necessarily that everything that you do is wrong unless you're wrongly motivated. And I promise you this, God cares all about that. John Wooden said this, He said, the true test of a man's character is what he does when no one is watching. When no one would know. When no one would be the wiser. What would you do if you knew that you could get away with it and no one was ever going to catch you? What would you do if you had opportunity to make a decision it's something maybe that you wanted, maybe something that you knew you shouldn't have, but something that you wanted, right? What would you do if you knew for certain that you were never going to get caught? What decision would you make? Well, that, that right there, that's who you really are. Who you are when no one's watching, when you'll never be caught, when no one will ever find out that, that is often who you are. And, and, and let me tell you why this is so important. Because for a lot of people, what they can do is they compartmentalize their life. And so they say, this is the thing that I show everybody. And this is the stuff that I hide from everybody. But when you're in a pressure season or a pressure circumstance, 
who you really are begins to bleed through all the choices and decisions that you make and you put someone under enough pressure and their real character will eventually start to emerge. This is why it's so important that no matter what season or circumstance you're in or what pressure you face, you need to be able to pass the character test. Man, I'm telling you, there's going to be pressures in life. Every single person in this room is going to face precious seasons and precious circumstances. And the pressures that we face, they're, they're not things like, oh, what will I do with all my spare time? No one has that pressure. No one. How are you doing? I'm busy. Shock, horror. Everyone's busy. No one has the pressure of too much time. No one that I've ever met. No one has the pressure of what will I do with all of the spare money I have, you know? What will I do with all of my cash? Wow, this is a a real, real precious situation for me. I'm so rich, I don't even know what I'm going to do with it, right? That's not the kind of pressure that I'm talking about. No, when I talk about pressure, I'm talking about sometimes the seemingly small and insignificant and yet moral things that begin to stack over time and lead your life in a certain direction. And you got to consider something. I don't think that God puts pressure into people's lives all the time. I think that God is often the one that re- releases the pressure from our lives. But, but to be honest, I've absolutely seen God allow pressure in people's life because He wants to see how they handle it. I think that sometimes what God is really doing is He's allowing pressure to determine whether He should increase their privilege. Because the higher you go, the more pressures that you have. The bigger your influence, the more pressures that you face. I think God is saying, hey, can you handle this level? Because if you handle this level, if you can't handle this, right, I'm never going to give you that. Because God doesn't actually want to set people up to fail. God wants to set people up to win. Listen to me. This is really important. If you're taking notes, you want to write this next part down. If you want to lead, the first thing you need to do is lead yourself. If you want to lead others, first you have to be able to lead yourself. You've got to be able to lead yourself. You've got to be able to have the discipline in your life to sometimes rail against the things that you really want to do to do the things that you know are actually right. You've got to be able to do this at different points in your life. You've got to have disciplines. You, you, you got to get up in the morning sometimes and, and have the discipline to get up and, and, and read the Bible. You know, and, and when, I, when I talk about leadership, come on, I'm talking about leadership and, and influencing people in the sense that we're trying to bring the presence and the kingdom of God and usher that into the world around us. So when I talk about influence, I'm talking about kingdom influence, if you get what I, what I mean today. So if you want that kind of kingdom influence, you've you got to get up in the morning and read your Bible. And, and I know that sometimes you don't, feel like you want to do it but come on what's what's your other answer if you if you want to be a leader if you want to influence people for the kingdom of God you've got to actually have something of value to be able to give away if you're not getting revelation for yourself where are you going to get it from you can try to get it vicariously through some podcast or some preacher on the other side of the world and say wow that was great for him I really love that right but at the end of the day you need your own revelation Because here's what I've learned. People will live out of the convictions of their heart. And it's really hard to carry another person's conviction. What you need is a conviction in your life over what God has revealed to you. Now you've got something worth giving away. 
Now there's something that you have that you're able to influence the world with. You, you, you got to be able to be disciplined enough to make some of these decisions. You got to get up in the morning and, and, and pray. You know, and spend that time with God. Learn to discern His voice. If He's meant to be leading you and you don't know where He's taking you, how are you going to take other people? You know, you, you got to be able to do some of these things. Look, can I be honest tonight? Since we're all being so honest today, it's really just me, but it's, it's cool. I'm just projecting. This is what you call projecting people, right? I don't always want to get up in the morning and pray. There are some times where the alarm goes off and I'm like, no, this cannot be. It's a lie. I've messed up my alarm. And I look at it and I think, no, it is time to get up actually, right? And I don't spring out of bed in the morning and think, thank God it's time to get up and pray. I'm like, all right, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. Yep, I'm getting up. I'm getting up right now. Three, two, one. No, right now I'm getting up out of bed. You know, I, I struggle with it the same as you. But let me tell you why these things are important. Because, you know, I've got a vision of where I want to be in the future. I've got a picture about where I want to be. I've got an idea about the kind of leader or the kind of person that I want to become. I've got an idea about where I want this church to go. And I know something that I will not be able to do any of those things if I'm always leading on empty, if I've got nothing worth giving away, no revelation, no sense of God's leading. How am I going to usher the presence of God into people's lives when I can't even experience it for myself? What you need to do is make sure that you're leading yourself. And when you start to be able to lead yourself, then you're going to start to be able to lead other people. I I remember we had a person that I spoke to uh, a couple years ago. And this person doesn't come to this church. And she came to me and she said, Pastor Ben, I really believe that God has placed a call on my life. I said, okay. She said, can we please talk about it? Absolutely. What do you think that God is asking you to do? She said, well, I believe that God is calling me to mentor millionaires. I said, that's a pretty significant call. I said, uh, like, that sounds great. Uh, having met this person a couple times, I asked a few qualifying questions. I said, okay, well, I love the idea that God, uh, it, it, you believe that God has asked you to mentor millionaires, but could you just tell me this? What's your current financial position like? She said, oh, I'm in terrible debt. I said, okay, okay, okay. I said, um, The problem that I have with what you're saying is that you may have a call, you just lack credibility. And let's face it, God can do all things, amen? He he, he can do anything. And and I wasn't about to shut this person down, right? I I, I didn't want to discourage you. I said, hey, listen, before you are able to mentor millionaires, you realize that you got to get yourself into a better financial position. See, people don't become millionaires by making a series of bad investments, right? They, they get to being in that position because they're good and, and, and they're smart and they're great stewards of their resources. And so far, what you have demonstrated is a lack of all of those things. If they're good at it and you're not, why would they listen to anything that you say? There may be a calling there. You just lack some credibility. You, you got to have credibility, See, if you can't lead yourself, in the in sense of your stewardship, if you can't lead yourself there, how are you going to lead other people into that same area? You've got to be able to do it. Years ago, I, I worked at a retail store and I worked with a guy who was stealing money out of the till. And 
we didn't realize that he was doing it, but you know, it doesn't take a genius to figure out that when money is consistently down and things don't balance, that something's wrong. And so the people that ran security for the retail company that I worked for, they installed a camera above the register to look at every single transaction and to watch the money pass through people's hands to try to figure out who it was. Well, it was a process of elimination and bit by bit, they began to narrow it down. In fact, they narrowed it all the way down to this one person. And, and, and it kind of came out and everyone knew and everyone knew it was this one person that was actually taking that money. I guess they had some pressure situations in their life and they weren't handling it very well. So they were taking what didn't belong to them. So, so here they are, they're taking money out of the till. Everyone knew it was them and they never caught him, but he still didn't get away with it. Oh, he was never caught, but he never got away with it. See, the reason he didn't get away with it is because he had to quit before they caught him. And he had dreams and desires and aspirations and things that he wanted to do in that company. But he actually sabotaged his future by making a poor decision in a moment of pressure. And so even though no one ever caught him, he never got away with it. That actually changed the direction of his life. And for the worst, now he had to go out and get a job and explain why he couldn't get a reference in the one that he was just in. Man, pressure situations will cause people to make bad decisions, bad mistakes. The great theologian Ice Cube said, you better check yourself before you wreck yourself. Don't ever listen to that song. <laughs> but you better check yourself before you wreck yourself. I think that's good advice. It might be the best thing Ice Cube's ever said. I don't know. But, but, but you got to check yourself before you start to make a mistake. Have you noticed that when people are, uh, are making a mistake, oftentimes they know what's wrong before they do it? There's like a little check in their heart, like a little check in their spirit. They're like, whoa, wait a minute, before I make this decision, something feels wrong. And, and some people are good at paying attention to that and others just try to ignore it. They don't wanna listen to it. They try to shut that voice out because they really are going after what they really want. I remember Dr. Alan Meyer, he said, never violate your conscience. If you're moving in a direction and there's a voice that screams out at you and it says, stop, what you're doing is wrong. Don't keep going this way. You should listen to that voice. That voice is often there speaking to you, trying to help you and make sure that you never end up in a bad situation. Let me tell you, everyone at some point will face a character test. Everyone. I want to read one to you. Straight out of the Scriptures, this comes to us out of 2 Samuel chapter 24, verses 1 to 4. And this is King David, who's making this decision. If you're new to church, have you ever heard the story about David and Goliath? Okay, well, same guy, but he's older and he's a king. And this is what happens in verse 1. It says, Again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he incited David against them, saying, Go number Israel and Judah. So the king said to Joab, command, commander of the army who was with him, go throughout all the tribes of Israel from Dan to Beersheba and number the people that I may know the number of my people. Very specific. Thank you, David, saying it twice in that one sentence. He said in verse three, but Joab said to the king, 
May the Lord your God add to the people a hundred times as many as they are, while the eyes of my Lord, the King, still see it. Right? In other words, he's saying, David, just want to let you know that I think you're absolutely amazing and may God bless you and bless all the decisions that you make and you are the best thing that's ever happened to us and I love you and, and, and all of this, right? But, but I just want to ask you a question before you do that. Why does the Lord, my King, delight in this thing? Now that was the check that King David had. But look at what it says in verse four. But the king's word prevailed against Joab and the commanders of the army. So Joab and the commanders of the army went out from the presence of the king to number the people of Israel. They went out and did it. Even though Joab said, hey, 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 I think you're great, but come on, David, why are you doing this? I think Joab knew that something wasn't quite right. God cared a lot about this thing. A lot. It's kind of weird, isn't it? Why would God care so much about counting people? Does he hate maths? He doesn't like numbers? I just want to encourage you, if you're an an accountant, you have not chosen the wrong profession. God doesn't hate numbers, right? Actually, there's even a book called Numbers. So he, He obviously doesn't have a problem with numbers. There are times when... Geez, God even counts. So why is this count so different? Well, this, this count's different because you remember I told you that God is able to discern the motivation of your heart. And what he's really saying is it's not the problem that you're counting, David, but I know why you're counting and I've got a major problem with it. And what David was doing is he was counting not the men, the women and the children. He only counted the men. And he counted the men because he wanted to know what kind of military force he had. He was measuring his military capacity and ability. And I guess what David was really saying is, God, you've been helpful thus far, but I just want to know that if I go to war, could I do it on my own? Could I do this without you? I mean, if if it really came to it, would I be able to do this without you? Here is David in a position of leadership and influence over Israel. And how many of you would understand that it's very important for the king of Israel to have a close relationship with God since they are God's people? And for the first time, what David is really doing is he's saying, God, you've been great so far, but I think I can take it from here. And he's starting to move in his own direction. And God says, I I know exactly why you're doing the count, David. And he wasn't happy with him at all. See, all of David's victories came from God. All of them. All his victories came from God. And now he's saying, I think I can do it on my own. The test that David was needing to pass here was, David, can you handle success? Sometimes we think about pressure as simply facing failure. But can you face success? Can you do that really well? You know what? David has this history of being an incredible leader, you know. He, he kind of bursts onto the scene in this story of David and Goliath. And if you know the story, here is this big, you know, ugly. No, the Bible never says he was ugly. I'll admit, I just added that part. But anyway, the point is, here is this big, ugly man mountain that is intimidating all of Israel. And, and, and no one would go and fight him. 17-year-old David comes along and says, I reckon I can take him. They said, you, this is outrageous. He goes, I can do it, right? And they're like, well, we should give you some armor. Don't need the armor. Give me a slingshot. Oh, 
Are you kidding me? This is crazy. What does David do? Goes, gets the smooth stones from the brook, puts it in his sling. Here comes Goliath, a man of war and battle, defeated many, many people. He's huge. David uses a slingshot and throws a stone, hits the Goliath, the giant in the head, He goes to the floor. David cuts off his head. That is incredible. Can I tell you, even though David participated in that, it was God that gave him that victory. God gave him the victory. God guided the stone to his head. God gave him the courage that he needed to get through that circumstance and that situation. People were so impressed with David, they started to write songs about him, right? They'd say things about this. So so at this exact moment, King Saul is the king of Israel. David's just like an up and comer, you know? He's on the track. And so anyway, here's what happens. The song goes something like this. I admit it wasn't lyrically, it's not that strong. But anyway, it says, it says, uh, Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. End of the song. So, so then, right, David must have heard this and said, you know what people are saying about me? Saul the king, thousands. Me, tens of thousands. I think David was the guy that wrote the song, maybe. I I'm not sure. But, but he started to listen to that song. I reckon he sang it around all the time. Maybe that's why Saul had so many problems with him, right? But, but, but he started to believe his own press. And I think after a while of racking up success after success, David thought, I'm, I'm pretty good. Maybe I can do it on my own. Let me tell you something. The Bible says that apart from God, you can do nothing. And the moment that you start to rack up so much success that you divorce yourself from your relationship with God and say, I can take it from here. That's the moment that you know you're headed in the wrong direction. And David should have figured this out, but he didn't until after. Listen to what it says in 24 and verse 10. It says, but David's heart struck him after he had numbered the people. After he numbered the people. See, It took them nine months and 20 days to count all the people. David found a way to ignore his conscience and shut that down for nine months and 20 days. And then when the numbers finally came in, it was only at that point he said, ah, I have done the wrong thing. Nine months and 20 days, he didn't listen to the check that was in his heart. He had an opportunity at the very beginning of all of this, if he had have just listened to Joab's question. You notice that he never answers Joab. It just says that he prevailed. I don't want to listen to this. Just do what I tell you. See, when people really want to do something, oftentimes they can shut out the voice of wisdom and reason, the voice of God, their pastor, their leader, their small group leader and say, I don't want to listen to you. Just let me do what I want to do until you get what you thought you wanted. And suddenly it says, oh, his heart was struck after he numbered the people. Listen to what it goes on to say. And David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. But now, O Lord, Please take away the iniquity, which is sin. But this word actually means guilt that comes with sin. So he's feeling terrible about what he's done. He said, oh Lord, I feel terrible about this. I'm feeling so guilty and please make it feel better. So he says, please take away the iniquity of your servant for I have done very foolishly. Verse 11. And when David arose uh, in, in the morning and the word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad, David's seer saying, go and say to David, thus says the Lord, three things I offer you. Choose one of them that I may do it to you. So Gad came to David and told him and said to him, Shall three years of famine come to you in your land? Or will you flee three months before your foes while they pursue you? 
or shall there be three days of pestilence in your land? Now consider and decide what answer I shall return to him who sent me. So David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Of course he was in great distress. He's got three horrible choices. Not one of these choices is good. He's like, how am I to choose? And I guess he has to make a decision. So he says, let us fall into the hand of the Lord for His mercy is great, but let me not fall into the hand of man. He makes a decision and the pestilence begins to spread throughout the land and thousands of people, His people begin to die in the secret place in the king's chambers when he gave that order, there weren't probably a lot of people there to hear, hear it. We know that Joab was there. There would have been other people there, but the people of Israel were not there to hear it. And now they're dying and there's no explanation, but David knows why. See, David's private sin received public discipline. And man, it's so sad when it gets to that point, isn't it? It's so sad when it gets to the point that it comes out. Now everyone knows, or at least they understand that there's some major issue. The thing is, David made this decision. He stayed alive. It just affected all the people that he led. Why would the thing that David did affect everybody? Because he's a leader. Because he had, he had the influence. He was the one charged with the responsibility. You know, you know what happens when it comes to influence and leadership? It flows out from you. And it causes ripple effects in the people that are around you. And in this moment, David lost his moral authority. If you can't lead yourself, you shouldn't lead others. John Maxwell said this, moral authority is earned by your walk and not by your talk. And your walk talks more than your talk talks. Did you get that? That your walk talks more than your talk talks? You can say a lot. People are looking at how you live your life. You have all the right words. You have all the right answers. People are going to look at what is coming out of your life. And here is my point. If you want to lead, be worth following. Come on. If you want to usher the, the presence and the kingdom of God into this world in which we live, if you want to lead, be worth following. This, this world is filled with people that rise to leadership that are not worth following. And people make decisions to follow them all the time. Here's the scary part. People that arise to positions of leadership and power and influence and are not going in the right direction, they are taking other people with them. This is part of the issue of living in this culture, in this day, in this age. I think this is the problem with people like, you know, like Insta celebrities. How, how, did, they, how did they gain their influence? By posting pictures. And people looked at the pictures that they posted and they said, oh, that looks good. And they started, they literally follow them. They have to follow them to see what they're doing. And so people arise to positions of influence, but they're just not leading people in the right direction. Come on, this is not what God has called His people to. And as I start to say some of this stuff, I don't know, maybe you've been having a few checks in your own heart as I'm talking. There's areas of your own life that, you know, oh yeah, well, 
okay, well, there are a few areas that I know are a, a little bit out there and there are secret things that I was hoping that no one would really find out about. Maybe you, you, you've got some of those things that are going through your mind right now. How could I ever be a leader when I've got some things going wrong? Whoa, 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 wait a minute. What I'm talking about is not perfection. I'm talking about direction. God doesn't expect you to be perfect. I think if God expected you to be perfect, He wouldn't have sent Jesus to die on the cross to pay the penalty for the mistakes that you've made. That's what the gospel is all about. God chooses people all the time knowing they're going to make mistakes. That's why we have Jesus. If you're new to church and you don't understand how this works, God doesn't expect you to be perfect before you come to Him. You come to Him in your imperfection and say, God, I need your help. That's how your relationship with God works. You don't rise based on your own perfection and, 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 and who you are. It doesn't work that way. In fact, here's what happens. When Jesus died on the cross to set people free, from the mistakes that they've made, because those mistakes end up enslaving you. They end up becoming a real serious problem in your life. And Jesus said, anyone that believes that I have died on the cross for their sins, even though I did it 2,000 years ago, if they believe by faith that I paid the penalty back then for what they're presently doing today, I will forgive them for all of their past, present and future sins. Then he does this beautiful exchange that we have. Here's what happens. He says, you give me all of your sin and I'll give you all of my perfection. Jesus was the only one that was ever perfect. And you become what's called righteous, not self-righteous because you didn't get it yourself. It's called imputed righteousness because you got it from someone else. You got it from God. And so when you come to God, you've made mistakes in your life. Come on, everyone's made mistakes. Me too. You come before God and you say, God, uh, I, I need some help in this area of my life. When He looks down on you, if you have a relationship with God, He doesn't see all the sin and the mistakes that you've made. He sees the perfection of His Son. And that is what you call grace. And so what leaders need, they need the grace of God in their life. You don't need to be perfect, but you've got to be moving in the right direction. David was a leader that started moving in the wrong direction. God brought about circumstances to bring him back and set him on the right path. Come on, it's not about perfection. Turn back to God, go after Him. It's all about the direction that you take. So you need to understand something. If, if you're a Jesus follower, you cannot give good advice and set a bad example. Because if you give good advice and set a bad example, you sabotage your own influence. People won't listen to you. Well, maybe not. Maybe some people will. That's, that's actually kind of my concern, really. Because at least the spiritually mature people, if they have some frame of reference of what it really means to be a leader that loves God and follows Him, at least they know enough to see someone going in the wrong direction and say, I'm going to stop following. They're probably not my concern as much as the people that are trying to figure out if Jesus is worth following. That's what I really care about. I really care about the people that are trying to understand whether pursuing a relationship with God is even worth it. And you know, when they're trying to figure that out, you know what they do? They look at you. They look at you, they look at your life, because your life says something about what you believe. In fact, the truth is, is everything you do says something about you. Let me read one more scripture to you tonight. This comes out of Romans chapter 2, verse 21. It says, You then who teach others, 
Do you not teach yourself? You then who lead others, do you not lead yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written in this part, this means so much to me. I, I hope this next line makes an impact on you. This is what it says. It says, The name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Paul's writing to Christian people. He's saying that there are people that have no relationship with God and they blaspheme God because they look at the example you set and they say, if your God is anything like you, I want nothing to do with Him. That's, that's really my concern. Because you got influence. People are looking, they're, they're noticing what you do. They're, they're deciding what they think about God and they're basing it on you and, and basing it on your behaviour. I know you can't be perfect. I know sometimes it's really hard to just get everything right, you know. Maybe you just react, maybe you just respond to certain situations, circumstances, things that frustrate you. Anybody ever struggle with some road rage issues? Come on, all the other people are on the road are stupid? Come on. You know, they're all, yeah. No one else can drive really, you know. I can tell you something. Personally, I've never struggled with this, but I know a lot of you do. You know, uh, It's not something that I would struggle with, but my wife, you have no idea. That's not true. That is not true. It's absolutely not true. But I, I, I'm saying that I know it would be hard for me to stand here tonight and say, hey, the next time something happens, just don't, just don't react, don't respond. Because I, I know some of you are going to respond. So here, I'm going to give you some strategy tonight. All right, so there's a little, little strategy for you, right? If you were someone that's prone to giving people the universal sign of disapproval, okay, I can't stop you, but please just don't put a Jesus fish on the back of your car. You know, they don't have to know you're a Christian. It'd be better for Jesus if they didn't. You know, I can't stop you cutting off people and, and swerving all over the road. That's fine. But if you cut in front of someone and you got a Jesus fish, they'll be looking at you like, oh, I thought they were a Christian. It's better be a Christian. Look at who's driving. Represents God. That's terrible. You know. Can't stop you from making all the decisions, but you got to remember there are times when you're going to be a witness to people, when they're going to see how you act, they're going to see how you respond. What you do makes a difference. We're supposed to be ushering in the kingdom of God, and people are saying, I don't know if I want the kingdom because when I look at these people, do I see a future that I want? Is this really what God is like? I'm looking for peace, not what these people are offering. I'm telling you, it matters. It matters what you do with your life, it matters how you react, it matters how you respond. Let me ask you a question tonight as I finish. What private battle are you presently facing that could affect your public ministry? I didn't make a mistake. Like I know, I know. I asked you about your public ministry. You didn't. You know that you're all called to ministry. Did you know that? Because well, for some people, they think that that they come and they watch me and I do ministry. That's Oh, that's really unbiblical, actually. You know what the Bible says? You want to get biblical for a moment. This is what the Scriptures actually say, that what I'm supposed to be doing is equipping, equipping the saints for the work of ministry. So I'm doing the equipping. Who are the saints? Who's doing the ministry? It's you. And I'm telling you right now, there are ministry calls and gifts and graces that are all over this place tonight. Everything you do is public when you do it in front of other people. You have a public ministry. And maybe you don't have a platform like this right here that I'm standing on tonight, but you do have a platform. 
You have a platform in your workplace. That's your platform. You have a platform in your sporting club. That's your platform. You have a platform wherever you go, whatever people surround you, your social networks, all the people that are in your life, wherever you are and however you're connected, that's your platform. And your public ministry flows out from that. And I'm just wondering what private battle do you have that's going on in your own world? The thing that you hope that no one would ever know. It's just a small area of your life, but it's secret all the same. But I'm telling you, you got to deal with it. You have to deal with it. Because God's asking you to influence the world that's around you. He's asking you to begin to shift it. He's asking you to change it. Church, He's asking you to lead it. And if you want to lead, you've got to be worth following. I want you to stand to your feet. Hey, thanks for listening to the Bright Weekly Podcast. We hope you're encouraged today and we'd love to see you at one of our services. So to connect further with us, head over to brightchurch.com.